You're listening to a podcast from 702. If a man can go to school, if a boy can go to school, why can't a girl? If I don't go to school, then I would be obeying my brother and my father. I would be washing clothes every day and then I would marry, then I would be taking care of children and my life would finish. Those people who stop us from getting education, they are afraid of educated and powerful women. That is, of course, the price that uh, she had to pay for her passion for education. And I want to know from you, what has education done in your life? How has it helped transform the lives of those around you? And indeed, do you have a different story to tell because you got one? Or perhaps uh, you have a different story because you didn't get an education. 011-883-0702. Of course, President Jacob Zuma released the highly anticipated 700-page document yesterday, which suggests that 50 billion rand is what should be poured into the expansion and development of higher learning. The report recommends establishing a cost-sharing model between the state and commercial banks to fund university students. Uh, This model would see the National Student Financial Aid Scheme being replaced by a new income contingency loan system. Joining us now on the line is the chairperson of the Ukusasa Student Financial Aid Program, and that's of course Sizwe Nglasana, who joins us now on the line from Lagos. Good afternoon to you, and thank you for your time. No, thanks very much for inviting me. Now, of course, you are part of that Ukusasa Student Financial Aid Program, and uh, as part of that task team what's your initial reaction to the here commission findings well the, the, the couple you know the few recommendations which um, you know i'm also the chairman of nasfas by the way so there are a couple of recommendations which um, you know we support or at least i support uh, such as for instance you know the additional funding that's recommended for teenage colleges uh, for instance, uh, the need to increase the funding, especially to historically disadvantaged universities in terms of uh, block funding or you know, the proposed 1% uh, that should be allocated to um, you know, universities for their infrastructure needs and other resources and requirements. Uh, those recommendations, you know, I think are good and I would certainly support them. And where I have a difficulty is the proposals around these income contingency loans especially to the extent that, in fact, even though uh, the recommendations talk about the cost-sharing model, uh, it, it also contradicts itself because, you know, those loans would be guaranteed by government. Now, we know that, you know, just given the fiscal position of the country, that uh, it, uh, you know, the state doesn't really, I don't think for a while, it will have the capacity to yeah. guarantee all the loans that would be made available to students. And, and But also the model of these proposal of these income contingent loans is problematic to the extent that uh, you know these loans would be available to all students, and there are a number of difficulties with that. Well, of course, one of the difficulties, uh, because as I said, this conversation, I also talked about the high dropout rate of uh, university students and indeed even high school students. So given that high dropout rate, and that's something, of course, you've dealt with uh, through NAFSAS, uh, wouldn't that, in a sense, give banks the power to hold a gun to government's head uh, that is actually one of the issues and that you know if you are a bank and you have a guarantee uh, in this case uh, you know from government in terms of uh, the probability of default on those loans uh, you're writing those loans knowing that uh, you know the dropout rate for instance is above 50 percent which means uh, there will be a contingent liability for starters for government and secondly uh, they are at least 50% of those loans that will never be recovered, where the banks would have to, 
you know, obviously call those guarantees from, from government. So it's not a cost-sharing model in that sense because it obviously puts um, almost 100% of the liability on the state uh, to back up these loans. And the other issue, of course, is that, you know, these loans would be available to all students, uh, including those that can afford. Now, it's been proven many times over in different countries that where you have a situation where, you know, people can afford to have access to, to loans as well, uh, what typically happens is that, you know, those students would have resources, would have internet access, would have the level of sophistication uh, to be able to apply for these loans, and they tend to crowd out poor students, especially given our country where the majority of the poor students are in historically disadvantaged universities, uh, where, you know, with the dropout rates being higher, you may even you may actually end up with an anti-selection environment where the banks, which are proposed in this particular case, would feel more um, inclined to uh, you know grant loans, these income contingency loans, to students that have a better probability of repaying, which obviously would be you know maybe a working class students as well as the richer students. So it, it can have unintended consequences in terms of. Uh, achieving exactly the opposite outcome of crowding out poor students and having those that are already well-to-do benefit a lot more from these loans. Even though, ironically, of course, it is being pushed as a kind of populist move, if indeed uh, it does have that unintended consequence, uh, does it also not speak to the fact that uh, where will this money come from and that this isn't a a proposal in some ways uh, that has been well thought out, particularly when we're now hearing that there might even be an alternative plan uh, from what the Hair Commission re- recommended. Yeah, in the Igusasa Student Financial Aid Program, and we did make recommendations, and one of the recommendations in the report says that if government um, feels uncomfortable to adopt the income contingency loans and the use of banks, then government must consider the Igusasa Student Financial Aid Program. Uh, and there a couple of things uh, which, you know, I think uh, from my standpoint, especially as the chairman of NASPAS, uh, are important to make. Uh, the first one is, um, you know, NASPAS is a statutory body. It's played a very important role in supporting a lot of poor students. Of course, you know, there are issues in terms of the fact that the uh, financial aid that NASPAS provides initially is a loan, a portion of which is converted to a grant. But I don't think it's correct to uh, throw the baby with the bathwater and say, you know, NASPAS must be replaced. I think what we need to do is to have a new funding policy in line with the governing party policy of funding, you know, poor and and providing financial aid to working-class students. And NASPAS continues to administer that. And then in terms of sourcing the funding, Understanding that there are fiscal constraints in government, it makes a lot of eminent sense to actually bring the private sector so that, you know, there's a, there's a co-funding arrangement, but also there's a proper risk-sharing arrangement, which is what Igusasa proposed, that, you know, it's not just a government that would guarantee the loans, that would share the risk of non-performing loans, the private sector in a structure where there's funding, not in the form of loans, but in the form of grants. That would be made available to poor students is able to, in other words, the country is able to share the risk between the public sector as well as the private sector. Last question for you. We've seen difficulties and challenges at the basic education level. There is a school of thought that suggests perhaps uh, monies of uh, this magnitude could be used better there to improve a system that would uh, feed into higher education and at least equal the, or level the playing field for, for, for all learners across the country. 
I don't think it's a question of uh, a binary question. In other words, either or. I don't think it's a question of saying we're not going to solve the problem in higher education. We're going to focus on early childhood development and basic education. Of course, it's important to focus on those as well. Uh, you know, already, you know, the country or the government has done quite a lot in terms of improving access to early childhood development uh, for a lot of people who didn't have access before. There's a lot of work which is done in basic education, especially to improve the quality of education. And already 80% of learners that go to public schools in the quintile one, two, and three schools are getting free education. So, you know, a lot of progress has been made in that regard. Uh, But a lot more still needs to be done. And of course, you know, if you look at higher education, those students that are in other Tibet colleges or universities already privileged because there are a lot of uh, people or learners who drop out, from, especially from grade 9 to 12 or even after grade 12, that never even end up at community colleges, Tibet colleges or universities. So the country has got to solve that unemployment and inequality issue. But it doesn't mean that we stop solving the problem in mm-hmm. education, especially in as far as providing access uh, to poor students and working class students. We've got to address that as well. All right, Susan Lassana, the chairperson of the Ugosasa Student Financial Aid Program and, of course, NAFSAS on the line there from Lagos, Nigeria. Give us a call, 011-883-0702. What are your responses uh, to a holistic solution, a holistic approach to dealing with the issues of education in South Africa? As he points out, of course, much of our basic education system uh, does allow for free access, but what kind of uh, education does that system offer and what happens to those who drop out who fall through the cracks where do they get left behind